Right, um, we finally got him. This is the uh, Russell Parkey uh, podcast, and we finally got Mr. Peter Tomlinson to do a podcast with us, and we're very excited about that. And we've got Edward's microphone there, Peter. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, great. He's a natural, isn't he? Um, <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we're just going to talk a load of rubbish, and hopefully it's been recorded. If it, if it, it says it's been recorded, but um, if it's not, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm going to take these biscuits, and uh, you take your biscuits, and um, we've got two biscuits, and let me describe the scene. We are in Catford, and we are in the garden. The sun is out. We're on a table. This table and the chairs and the benches were made in Australia, uh, Melbourne, and um, they were transported here, but, but never mind that. We're sitting at the table, and it's very nice, and uh, we've got Peter Thompson with us, and we're very excited about that. Peter, welcome. Thank you very much, Simon. <laughs> nice to see you again. And, um, I hear sounds from next door. There's Gene and Mick next door, but they may, be, they may join in the podcast later on. Anyway, Peter, tell us about, we'll go back to square one. You were born in 19, what, 40? 49. 49, okay. And um, where were you born, Peter? I, I was born on the Isle of Sheppey. Oh, on the Isle of Sheppey. Oh. In Minster Hospital. Oh, were you? Yeah, right, okay. So I believe, anyway. Okay, okay, very nice. And uh, your mother was obviously there at the time. Uh, in body, not in mind, I don't think. I think okay. she was um, very seriously ill when I was born. Oh, okay. My, my father was given the choice. Oh. The doctor said, would you like to save your wife or your baby? Really? He was, he was given that choice. That's a Terrible choice to be given. Yeah. So he, he chose my mother, naturally. Yeah. So, so, so you should be dead. I should be indeed. <laughs> that, that was my start in life. Right, okay. Well, you're, you're very much alive, Peter. I was probably blue when I was born. Yeah. Because I was underweight. I was premature. Premature, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you probably weighed... Like the, like the Marines, first in, first out. You know? and, you, and you weighed about four pounds or something. I don't know. That's not far off. I think I was about that. Yeah. Well, very glad that you made it, Peter, and your mother made it. And um, we're glad you made it to Calendar Road today for this podcast. Yeah, um, parked up the road. Yeah. So um, I know Peter through uh, the Catford Wanderers Tennis Club, sports club actually, but we play tennis there. That's how I know Peter. And I also know Peter because we used to turn up together to the rehab sessions, didn't we? Uh, this is for the cardiac. Yeah, just cardi just just, rehab, yeah. just the listeners don't get confused and think we were both druggers or something. You yeah, know? yeah. And um, that was run by Dave, wasn't it? It Dave, was, yeah, yeah. In, at the um, and they stopped that now, which I think yeah. is a great shame. You know, well, the sports centre we used to do our sessions at was the uh, BP. Hang on, the Bridge Leisure. The Bridge, centre, Bridge here. Yeah. Previously yeah. been yeah. a BP Sports Centre. And uh, had a massive gym, gym, gymnasium there, and it used to be about twelve of us turn up, and it was uh, it was good fun. Very, was... very good fun, and you you get to know the people, and yeah. um, I I think it encourages a lot of people to go along. I know it did me. I, I, I sort of yeah. went and did more exercise and relevant exercise than I would have done. I mean, yeah. tennis is is great, yeah, but the the exercises really were cardio based and pushed you. In that direction, yeah. So it worked your heart, and uh, uh, with some music as well. And there's a lot of banter, a lot of good fun. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I, I don't think they're going to carry on. Uh, well, uh, but uh, I'd like to see if they. I, I, I'd love them to carry on because I think they're such a good thing. Yeah. Well, they should come back. Yeah. That's such a good thing. But yeah. I think the bridge, as a sports centre, has been closed down. I has it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't it, know that. As we speak, it is. It is uh, closed is shut now i don't know if it's going to reappear or what but i mean i would say that it's never been i mean i i did actually go there when it was a bp sports center 
and I know I have been a sort of occasional visitor over the years since Lewisham Council took it over. And, you know, you can see it's not busy. It's never been busy. And you always wonder, are they losing a lot of money keeping this open? You know, oh, I, I think I, I, I suspect there must have been. Yeah, yeah. I, so, so, yeah. I don't think I mean, if it, was, if it had been a great money spinner with loads of functions and bars and and sports stuff going on, um, you know, you could understand why it would there'd be pressure to open it up again. But sadly, I don't think there is that pressure. That's that's my own personal view. But um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think in business, in in retail, it's not exactly retail, but its location matters so much. Yeah. And I don't think the bridge was, uh, or is in fact located. Yeah. Very conveniently for a lot of people. Well, it's in Cangley uh, Bridge Road. Yeah. Which is, it is a dead end, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, you drive down Cangley Bridge Road and you come to the end of it and you can't get anywhere else. <laughs> no, that's right. So it is a one way. Just an industrial It's not state somewhere you end. pass by, but, but that's good in that I suppose people who, who have functions like to make a load of noise. So it's good from that point of view. Yeah, you could you could you could have a band and stuff, and you know ele- electronic devices making sound, and um, you would be all right there. I think. I think it was very popular when squash was popular, oh. and unfortunately, I think the councils, mainly the council, killed off squash to yeah. a very big degree by being very petty over the charging and things like this. Yeah, and um, putting the charges up and. Uh, of course, people have the idea. Well, you know, somebody playing once a week can afford four pounds or whatever it is, and between two of you. But the reality is that if you, you know, you're playing a lot of squash, you you you're using more court time than that. Yeah. And um, some of the better players did, and it that encouraged more people. Mm. So so the court the courts were always full. I mean, booking a court in the bridge or a, any leisure centre was yeah. was very. Um, uh, very hard. You had to get on the phone at the right time, and you know, struggle to get your court. Yeah. And um, basically, the council killed it off. Yeah. By being, yeah, being stupid, to be honest. So, so you charging too much. Council, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, not just the councils, but so I think you clubs. See, squash as a sport used to be much more popular. It was the most actually. popular sport in the UK at one point. Was it? It even overtook angling, which. It's absolutely amazing. Angling, fishing yeah. was the was the most popular thing for a long, long time, yeah. and um, it was overtaken by squash. It was squash, we, and we were number one in the world, you know. Yeah. And it was just so downplayed as a sport, so sad. And I think there's all this nonsense about heart attacks and things, and any sport, you know, will result in in heart attacks mm. if if pursued to the nth degree. Yeah. And um, you know, humans can push themselves like that, and and squash, I, I don't believe, was statistically a, a, any worse than any other sport. Yeah. You know? So there's all this fuss about you know old men getting on the court or middle-aged men and pushing themselves to do harm. Yeah. And I'm sure there was some truth in that, but um, that yeah. side of the problem, that side of the sport, was uh, very damaging to it. Uh, along with the, this issue issue of pricing it out, yeah, and yeah. and the clubs were just as bad. I mean, um, I I played at Sydenham, yeah, played squash at Sydenham, and That's um, Sydenham Sydenham tennis sports club, yeah, yeah, Sydenham sports club. So tennis, squash, uh, and racquetball as well. You play yeah, and croquet, and croquet, yeah, yeah. and um, I think I did all all, of them. <laughs> but. Um, but certainly, they they were putting the prices of the courts up at at, um, at that club, and yeah. uh, I sort of advised people at that time, look, this is a bad idea. Yeah, you're going to drive people away. Yeah, and um, they had a very big um, squash section at that time. Only two courts, but a lot of members in squash. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I went away on contract, so I lost touch with them. Yeah with the club and uh, a couple of years later their membership had halved yeah halved you know and 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 the people running it 
their attitude is, oh, well, you know, they're rich businessmen, they could afford it. But yeah. it's not all the people that play squash are rich businessmen. No. Probably most aren't. Yeah. And if you, if you are uncompetitive with other sports, yeah. people are going to move on. And once they've moved on, and Maggie, my wife, makes a very good point, once you've changed a habit, it it's hard to get it back again. So yeah. once you change the habit of people going to the high street, yeah. they're not going to go back again. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they're used to buying on the internet yeah. and other ways of shopping. Yeah. And you, you, you um, take away that um, custom mm. uh, very much to your detriment, really. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so Lewisham Council... Hobby horse, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Lucian Council doesn't come out of this very well, but, you know, in defence of Lucian Council, I mean, habits have changed. I can remember, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and stuff, people used to say, oh, I play squash. Do you want to play squash? Do you want a game of squash? You know, it was kind of a, a thing that everybody, a lot of people used to do. And they, it used to be seen as, keeping fit and it was involved in that now since those those times we've had all these gymnasiums and, and workstations and stuff coming well and yes people go there and they think they're getting fit by lifting weights and yes like that, yes yeah. and, and and it's uh, I, I don't think there's um well for me it's certainly as much enjoyment in, in a gym you know, you're just treading treading one place on a machine. It's not, you know, a sport is much more interesting to keep fit with. And, and tennis is a very good sport to keep fit. Mm. Tennis is tennis and squash. Tennis may be better than squash, in fact, because um, it's slightly less slightly less rigorous. So for a lot of people, you can play tennis a lot longer than you can squash, for instance. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yes, I mean, I mean, I mean the argument came in with the leisure centres, uh, certainly leisure centres, more than clubs, but leisure centres. Well, we can put more people on the squash court. You know, we could put 20 people on the squash court, 10 people on the squash court, and get a lot more money for it. Mm. Well, it, you know, it's not all about money, is it? No. And and, and uh, it's all very well saying trends change. You could say, you can, same for the high street. You could say, well, people no longer shop on the high street because they've gone to the internet. Yeah. But it's not true. You know, if you put the rates up and drive the business away yeah. and, and you, you charge an enormous amount for parking and and so, uh, and people, whereas the one time would have gone and had a coffee and had a meal yeah. and you, in a relaxed way and you have this impromptu um, shopping. Yeah. Um, Impulsive, not important. I'm not well, sure the word I'm looking for, but yeah, but I mean, but, but, but yeah. by removing that, that, you know, this is the thing that's caused it's not the internet, not it's not people going on the internet yeah, yeah. that's caused the demise of the high street, yeah, it's the, the high rates and the no car parking, and it's yeah. all very well being doctrinaire and anti car parking. But I, I would agree with you, Peter. Think of, the, think of the trade, you know, in fact, if you Catford Centre, Catford Shopping Centre. When I used to work for um, Lewisham 2000, which was a multidisciplinary group of people who had got six million pound grant and they were kind of um, make, improving Lewisham Town Centre. I seem to remember that uh, at one stage, Lewisham had been a bigger centre than Bromley. Now, these days, Bromley is a much bigger shopping centre, much bigger town centre than Lewisham. But things, you know, didn't used to be like that. You know, we're probably going back 50 years, but... No, no, no. Only really 20, 20, 20 years. years. Okay. 20 years, maybe. But but Lewisham was, yes, it was a very, very big centre. Yeah. They had the market, there were lots of shops there. Very vibrant centre. Yeah, the, market, the market's always been thriving, as it is today. But the shops as well, yeah, you know, very very thriving centre. They did have in the sort of seventies and eighties. I think they had a lot of problem. They had crime in the car parks, and um, people it was saw it as a place to, um, you know, for crime. 
and um, you know a lot of people used to sort of come down from Blackheath and shop there and stuff. And I've got a I've got a funny story actually for you about the Army and Navy store, which I've got to tell you in a minute. Okay. And uh, but definitely, but Lewisham, you wouldn't go to Lewisham, you know. The rich people of Blackheath don't any longer go to Lewisham Town Centre. I think I think Lewisham was always, uh, or used to be rather, yeah. uh, fairly down market. And yeah. That's reflected in the goods that the shops sell as well. So I think yeah. Bromley's always had a slight edge and advantage from a retail point of view. Yeah. From for that reason, it's, it's more upmarket and more people probably want to shop there. You know, yeah. everyone. Um, so. It has that advantage, but also Croydon was an, an enormous and very highly successful shopping centre. Oh, yeah. And the car car parking restrictions on car parking um, completely decimated the, the shopping the, the centre. Really? Yeah. So, you know, absolutely, absolutely crazy, absolutely well, crazy. I, you know, I drove. We drove through Croydon because we were going to West Sussex to visit our friend Chris and of course now during this Covid crisis Croydon, Croydon is absolutely deserted and it's got loads of huge office blocks very high and they're all shut down but maybe maybe they'll come back but I mean Croydon probably get converted into housing now historically when Croydon was a kind of new town wasn't it was that after the, was that when was it built when those when was croydon town center built those big tall buildings and stuff when was when when did, when did it all happen was um that, that uh, i couldn't tell you exactly but but i do know i mean i lived in rygate for yeah quite a while and came through croydon and up to croydon yeah yeah um and there were big buildings then you know so, yeah. you, so you're talking about Talking, 40, 50 years ago. <laughs> are, we, are we talking about the 60s? Yeah, certainly. So they were there. And but was it after the Second World War? or? I I, I don't really know. I think the 60s were, were yeah. um, quite big for Croydon in you know, the office blocks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to do our research and actually... And, uh, actually, actually, I should also make, make my view on cars clear and, and cycling and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I'm very much a you know pro cycling. I think yeah. it's you know excellent, and I like to see people walking and cycling and playing sports. So um, you know, promoting cycling and walking, I think is is very good, and the councils yeah. do that, which is great. And, and Peter, didn't you once bicycle from London to Brighton? I did. Yes, did <laughs> I'm, that's right. I remember that. You told me that. Yeah, it was in on the Father's Day. Um, charity ride for um uh, the british heart foundation okay okay so um, it wasn't that long ago you did this no no i was i was in my 60s wow so um i trained for it um i bought a bike for five five pounds <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah it, it, it was it was uh, down towards horsham i bought it from because uh, okay. I, I don't know why that that is just advertised at five pounds and I went down with my wife, and this thing was hanging up in the garage. It was incredibly dirty. I got back and uh, washed it off with a hose pipe, and then and then uh, went over it with a um, a steam, okay, you know, you know, steam thing, and um, got it all clean, and then oiled it up, and it was fine, fine for training. Okay. There's nothing wrong with the bike at all. Oh. I think the gear slipped a bit, but it was, you know, it's not, for my purposes, it was. Well, well yeah, done, it was great. And then a friend of mine loaned me or gave me a, like a racing bike, okay. which is the bike I actually used. And unfortunately, I, I, um, somebody knocked me off the bike. Yes. And I ended up um, the dislocated shoulder. That's right. I remember the story. But, but yeah. I, I still carried on and got to Brighton. <laughs> With your dislocated shoulder? Well, well, I got, uh, no, I didn't cycle all the way. But I, um, I was taken at the... Um, I think the ambulance picked some of us up and and um, <laughs> took us there. Well, took you to Brighton, did they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. And with the bike, and I, and I actually finished. I did actually finish the race, or race the ride on my bike. 
So really? it's a, so I carried on riding. I was riding on my bike and and crossed the line and got my uh, I got a medal for doing it with with your broken shoulder. And, and, and I yeah dislocated. Yeah, I had done most most of the ride, so it was it was towards the end of the ride. I dislocated my shoulder. Yeah. Can I now? Can I take you back? Can we go back to the Army Navy store in Lewisham? If you want to, yeah. And my friend, who I was just talking to <laughs> on the phone, on the phone yesterday, his name is Chris Hare. Yes, please. And what's he do? Oh, he's um. Well, he's a he's a clown, and he's also <laughs> he does memory memory man stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what he's up to. So he's about sixty four. So. Um, yeah, hopefully he's youngster, youngster. Yeah, yeah. And he was telling me about this, that, and the other, and um, and he's going off on a cruise of the, uh, I think, the British Isles soon with his dad, and his dad's uh, a young, ninety-two years young, and um, anyway, that was quite interesting. Anyway, Chris, when I knew him, well, let's sort of try and put a year on this. Um, he's. Anyway, so I, I think I met him in about 1981 or something like that. Anyway, we're going, can I take you back to the sort of mid-80s, mid-1980s? Mm. And Chris Hare, is, he wanted to be a comedian. So he wanted to uh, do that as a, as a job. And the thing is, if he did, if he did 10 shows... Four of them would be fantastic. Four of them would be average, and two of them would be very poor. <laughs> okay, so but he kept he's very focused, and he kept battling away. He wanted to be a comedian, and his and he was very friendly with um, Stuart Littlewood, who at the time managed Canada Ball and Max Boyce. Mm. And people like that. They're good names. And anyway, and and in, in the he always I knew him because we worked on the holiday centres, holiday camps, and that's how I, I bumped into him. And he would would go back to doing that in the summer. You know, he worked in various places on the south coast and stuff like that. And um, in the winter, he would be he would he would he would be with Cannonball and with Max Boyce. But he'd be selling the merchandise, so they would go around theatres around the country, and Chris Chris Hare would be selling the merchandise, and he was, you know, he was pretty loud and stuff, and fairly organised and fairly honest. Well, honest, so um, he was a good man to have. And of course, merchandise is a big seller, isn't it? You know, yeah, t-shirts and trinkets and this, that, and the other. Yeah, yeah. So you can see that, and. Um, and I think in those days, you know, people used to buy tapes of the show. You know, this is before the internet, really. Actually, they still do. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, if you go to something like the old, the, the okay. 60s, which my wife and I do. Okay. With with friends. You know, they're still on sale, are they? And, and they're st it's amazing. <laughs> you know, they get the one BG. <laughs> 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 and things like this. But it's great fun. And they, they're still selling... CDs and stuff, so, okay. and and memorabilia, and you know, yeah, okay, at, in, in Croydon, Fairfield Halls, we've yes, been yeah. a few times, yeah. which has been redone, <laughs> yeah, it's been done up, isn't it? That's been, a, that's been a disaster as well, but anyway, another, well, Croydon, Croydon another Council, story, another story. Croydon <laughs> Council, as we speak, well, are, are bankrupt, the whole council's gone. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you know, they've been, yeah. it doesn't surprise me. Anyway, can I get back to my story? You can, of course, yeah. Right, well, he was, um, so I think I've given you a picture of him. In the, you know, in the summers, he was working on in holiday centres. And in the winters, he was kind of doing the merchandise for, you know, Cannonball or Max Boys or whoever. Anyway, <coughs> my, another friend of mine, a chap who's, whose professional name is AJ Marriott, whose real name is Alan Johnson. <laughs> he's, he's alive and well as you speak. Anyway, he said to, and, and he, he was living in Tilbury at the time, Tilbury on Thames, and he said to Chris Hare, he said, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do AJ's Lancashire accent. 
He said, uh, Chris, the thing is, why don't you do these kiddie shows? These agents keep on at me to do kiddie shows. I say, I don't want to do it. But I can get you loads of work doing kiddie shows, you know, if you want to do that, Chris. Um, anyway, so, and Chris Hare took him up on it. He started doing a few kids shows. Anyway. Sounds he, fun. Yeah, he was absolutely brilliant at it. And he's, he's hit the ground, he hit the, he's the ground running and he got loads of work and he was doing, you know, at a good price and he was doing shows all over the place, including to, I think, a young Prince Harry and and Wills and stuff, you know. Wow. And, and Mick Jagger's children and all sorts. No, no, he was... He's made it. He was going for it. <laughs> he it. But he but he was... He spent years with his dream mm -hmm. and he and he was so focused he wouldn't he wouldn't be put off it but but my friend aj put him on that road to doing kids shows and clown shows you know he was obviously he dressed as a clown and stuff and um and that was really successful for him anyway that's the, the point of this story at the army and navy store in lewisham is <laughs> i've got all about that <laughs> is before he kind of before aj gave him this uh, steer towards kid shows. He he was he was at, he was a bit out of work, you know, in the in the interim in the winters. Anyway, one of the things he did was he would get work in department stores, demonstrating gear to sell. You know that was, mm -hmm. and that suited him, suited his, you know, outgoing personality and stuff. Anyway. He went to the Army and Navy store in Lewisham selling selling jewellery, <laughs> which was presumably a load of rubbish. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, he was doing that. And he would he took on a persona. I mean, he's, he's somebody who's... His father used to be uh, a manager for Woolworths and had worked all over the country. So Chris Hare had a sort of... Um, you know, didn't have a definite accent. But he kind of had a general generalised accent. Hmm. Anyway, for this work in Lewisham Army and Navy store, he put on this kind of Cockney persona. So he was going, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> he was saying things like, well, ladies and gentlemen, he says he's had a sort of market store mentality. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I can offer you some lovely, lovely jewellery here. It's very good for you. I assume you. Shoot you, madam, over there. Yeah, lovely trinkets and stuff. Uh, come and try. And, you know, this is his kind of... Um... Tell, tell you an interesting story about jewellery when you finish. Okay, okay. Okay, you've got another one. If you... Well, I hope it's not as boring as this story. Anyway, <laughs> he... he... <laughs> you, you've got the picture. He was doing this cockney persona to sell this jewellery. Anyway, the manageress of the floor, some floor manageress, took him aside one day and said to him, that's not really our sort of, um, that's not the way we project ourselves here. We are the Army and Navy, and we, we would like to put on a bit of a special um, performance, you know, for our, for our um, shoppers. You know, we are, we are a bit more refined than, than you're coming across as. And anyway, so Chris Hare, he got really angry about this, telling off. And telling, <laughs> anyway, anyway, so his, his reaction was to, in fact, put on a very posh accent. So he then started selling his jewelry. And he was doing this as a, as a kind of, to hit back at the, at the <laughs> poor woman who told him to, to, you know. But it was very successful, wasn't it? Anyway, this is the joke. So he would start saying, oh, well, this is lovely jewelry. Come and try this bracelet, madam. It's absolutely, it'll suit you down to the ground. It's very nice. It'll give you, it'll give you and give you a touch of past, which of course you've got already. <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he was doing all this and he was taking out his anger, you know, <laughs> putting, on, putting on this, <laughs> this posh persona. Anyway, this is the joke. The joke was the it, sales of this jewellery went, <laughs> went up 300%. He was stuck. With doing this posh persona. <laughs> yes, madam. Oh, lovely. 
Oh, that's it. Will you shoot you? That, uh, that bracelet. Oh, that, that jewel is marvelous. You know, he, he, was, he was stuck. He was stuck with that persona. And, and the joke that's, was, a good, that's a good story. Well, we're recording right now, it says. What we did before, I don't know. We were only talking about right? Always, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about AI? Um, yeah. If you, if you, yeah, I want you to talk. Yeah. You, you want just, me to talk? I can talk about talk. AI. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talk about AI. Oh, we're fascinated by AI. Ro- robots. Oh, that, we love robots. The question is, will machines ever think? What do you reckon? I think they will. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very debatable, but I think they will as well. And um, should we be afraid at that point? I mean, this robotic thing and AI is quite frightening. I mean, the the, um, right now the Russians have or had a few years ago, completely automated tank. Yeah, that was used to guard, is used to guard airfields, and it patrols the airfield and shoots up anything it doesn't like. You know, it's, it's got a mind of its own. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's all right. I mean, the alternative is to have people manning the tank and guards around the airport. Yeah. And, you know, they could they could make mistakes and they could, um, you know, they could have mental health issues and stuff and or they could be bribed or whatever. So, Indeed, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, 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 none of those problems would happen. And, and then, and then you look at look at car industries. At one time, thousands of people were involved in making cars. Yeah. Now, well, there are hundreds of people still involved in making yeah, cars. Yeah. And if you look at some of the bigger plants, it's even yeah. thousands, but yeah. um, nowhere near compared to the to the times when mass production first yeah, came about. Yeah. And and you you see these huge plants and all the robots in them. And everything, almost everything is, well, pretty well everything is automated. Yeah. Almost yeah. everything is automated. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. But the auto, the automation is really quite intelligent as well sometimes. In, in, in the way the paint might be put on and assessed by the robot. Yeah. Um, to get the optimum, you know, finish on the car. Yeah. Um, so d- where does this leave... The human being is there any work left for humans i mean you, you robots now ai can assess uh, a patient and determine if that that or determine the treatment or the illness that that patient has yeah, yeah. You know, and they can do it better than a doctor they can do it better than an average doctor yeah they could do that now yeah, well, that's, and, that's and good. ai will progress and machine intelligence will progress yeah to, to a point where a, a lot of those jobs that were once thought to be um, not protected, but uh, not really vulnerable to to automation, mm. will suddenly become yeah. very vulnerable to automation. Peter, can I take you off on a slight tangent? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> is, is, that, is that the type of vehicle? <laughs> You Actually, they ought to call it. They, they ought to call a, a vehicle a tangent. A tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you drive a tangent? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's go off on a tangent. <laughs> anyway, I'm yeah. going to take you to 1974 when yeah. I was picking grapes in the Bordeaux region of France. My my word. Anyway, just to cut a long story short, I think one of my f- this chap I ran into. Were you driving at the time? No. <laughs> he had been on the island of Jersey before he came to pick grapes, and he was there. And he was—I can't really remember. He—he he may have been, you know, he had an accent. He was from the north of England. We may have even been a Scotsman. I, I can't remember exactly. Very, very accident-prone, those people. Anyway, I do remember his little story, which was this, which was, he was in Jersey, and he, he was a trained 
painter, a house painter. House painter. So he was doing a job, and his little story concerned. What's a, what's a painter on a boat? I don't know. What is a painter on a boat? <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> anyway, it's a crossword clue. It's a crossword clue. <laughs> anyway, so he was a painter. Anyway, he doesn't paint boats. Painter on a boat is some. It's got nothing to do with painting. <laughs> anyway, we were we were we were. In, <laughs> We were in France in 1974, and I'm, we were doing what they called the grape harvest, which they called the Vendange. I've been married two years in 1974. Oh, had you? Mm. Anyway, let's not go off on any more tangents, please, Peter. Um, I haven't been invented yet. So this chap had a little story about when he was doing a painting job for Sir Billy, but Sir Billy Butlin on the island of Jersey. Oh wow! Now, Mister Mister Billy Butlin had retired and he was no longer running his uh, holiday camp empire mm -hmm. which had employed me in Skegness and in Minehead and what was Billy Butlin's there's there's another well his son was called Bobby no, no there, there's another company Fred Pontin Fred Pontin oh. it was yes he used to do lots of oh yeah I met Fred Pontin oh once. you met Fred Pontin okay yeah yeah it was it was a very small chap can I do my anecdote, please? Oh, if you must, yeah. So, we, <laughs> this chap was doing a painting job on yep. the island of Jersey yep. for Sir Billy Butlin. Yeah. Anyway, his complaint was that Billy Butlin was very much watching what he did. And every time he did anything, if he did anything, anything different, Billy Butlin said, why did you do that? Why did you do it that way? What are you doing that for? And things like this, and he found he found it very off-putting, Billy Butlin. But I actually thought to myself, and I think to myself now, I think to myself, well, that was the kind of guy he was. There was no way he was going to be conned out of anything. And he, you know, this guy had seen the building of you know all these holiday camps around Britain. You know, uh, Skegness and Clacton were his, were his first, but I think he then he then, Filey, Air in Scotland, Pathelly in North Wales, Barry Island in South Wales, and then and and this was after the war. Then um, Minehead. What about the Arne Shappy? And Bognor Regis. And I don't think Shappy, Peter Tomlinson's <laughs> birthplace. I don't think they had a holiday camp built there. Okay, but. Don't they? Skegness, you know. Yes, Skegness, definitely. Yes, yes. On the Sheppey. What's, what has Skegness got to do with the Isle of Sheppey? Isn't it on the Isle of Sheppey? No. <laughs> you sure? Skegness is in Lincolnshire. Oh, right. Uh, but don't worry, Peter. What am I confusing it with? I don't know. But you, you carry on. Um, when I was working in 1973 at Butlins in Skegness, mm. attached to the holiday camp was the Ingold Mills Hotel, which is also, I think, it's owned by Butlin. Mm. Anyway, they had. We used to go there of an evening because we liked you know, some great entertainment there, great bands on. And one of the bands that had been there, I think maybe just the previous year or maybe two years previously, mm. was Status Quo. Wow. The, the band, you know, Francis Rossi and Rick Parfit and, and whatever. Oh, uh, no change there then. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> Francis Rossi was a went to went to school at Sedgehill School, I believe, mm -hmm. and they did one early gig at what they call what we call what used to be called Catford Girls School, which is now called Connorsborough College. It is now uh, co-educational, but it used to be the Catford Girls School, and I think Status Quo played there. This must have been a long time ago, maybe late sixties, maybe early seventies. Who knows? Who knows? We sh we must find out. We should do. We should have a researcher on this program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they should know what they're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Oh yeah. <laughs> we were, yes, we were at Butlin Skegness in nineteen seventy-three. 
1974. 1974, we were at Mine Edge. Oh, okay. In 73, we were at Skegness. And I think it was great for me. But you must have been very young then. I was. I was 18. Oh, 18, yeah. Yeah. So I was, what was I doing? But I was very impressed because the Skegness camp used to feed three meals a day in a waiter waitress service. And I think they used to serve 14,000 people a day. So there have loads of different dining halls mm. and stuff. And um, very organised. I was very impressed by that. And I am to this day very impressed with that. Whereas, we should have got Billy Butlin doing PPE and stuff, shouldn't we, really? Well, yeah. I think, you know, during the Second World War, that's exactly what they did. They said, they thought, this is a man who now knows how to build an accommodation unit. And they said to him, well, then they did a deal with him. And, you know, the, whatever the Ministry of Defence or Ministry of War or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they went to him and they said, right, build us. We've got millions of Canadians and Americans coming over and they want accommodation. Build some huts for us. They, they, yeah, they are going to invade Europe and um, we want you to build accommodation for them. That's and that they did a deal with him. In fact, the deal, since you since you asked, I think the deal was you can buy these holiday centers back after the war and you could buy them for 60 percent of what you built them for. So that encouraged him to keep the costs down because he knew it was going to be cheaper for him after the war to buy them back, and which is what which is what happened. And as it happens, um, that was a cunning. Yeah, it was. Cunning policy, wasn't it? It was a good, it was a good move, really. Mm. Good bit, bit of business. Yeah. And um, you know, after the Second World War, they, you know, people used to holiday in his holiday centres, mm. in the same, very same accommodation that those Canadian and American soldiers Tri- had stayed in. Had stayed in, yeah, and, and, and prepared for the D-Day landings and the invasion of Europe. Yeah. Sort of interrupt you. Yes. On on the D-Day landings. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, there was a troop called the X Troop. Oh. Um, I was just on the box, you know, on the television. Yeah. And these guys were commandos. Yeah. And they were all German speaking. Okay. So they were assigned to different different units. Yeah. But the idea was that they could go in early, and um, if required, they could speak to the German troops and. That you know, please surrender or whatever it is they had to say to yeah, them. Yeah. Um, but there was an account of the guy landing on, um, I think it was Sword, might have been the be- Sword Beach, you know. Okay. Uh, which is a British, a British beach. Okay. And you, t- you tend to hear of all these stories of of um, Utah, where the you know yeah. massive number of people killed. Yeah. But people forget and underrate um, the the landings on um, those beaches, yeah. because he describes you know getting out of the landing craft of people dead and dying all around him, bullets coming around, jumping into the water that was already full of blood yeah. from people who were dead and dying. Yeah. So yeah, you know there that was a pretty horrendous experience, yeah, well, yeah. and it, and it wasn't you know we didn't just land. Yeah, um, you know, very sweetly without loss of life in uh, oh, yeah. in sword. Uh, it just it just struck me as being um, quite interesting the way yeah. history yeah. turns out. And well, of course, here we are in in Calendar Road mm-hmm. in Catford, off the Bromley Road, and we are opposite. At the end of our road is the Bromley bus garage. And during the Second World War, there were Canadian troops stationed and sleeping in the what is now the bus garage. And during the Second World War, they changed the name of um, Canadian Avenue. Ah. Oh. Previously, it had been Berlin Road. So good change. Well, yeah, be interesting <laughs> to know when that happened and who did it and why you know, it's obviously why they did it yeah. they did it to celebrate canadian troops that, that were accommodated in the bus carriage and, and who 
were part of the DJ landings and um, yeah yeah and went on went on to uh, well they they, they they landed with the British yeah yeah and in the British part of the uh, yeah operation not the American part yeah because yeah. you know we, we were doing this all backwards but of course Peter you lived and worked in Canada didn't you I I did yes I, I was there for about eighteen months yeah. maybe slightly longer. So, yeah, you. Yeah, on, um, it was in the eighties, early eighties, seventy nine. I started my business. Yeah, yeah, and um, had the contract with a um, uh, very large um, insurance concern. Yeah, um, and they had offices in Canada. Yeah, and they. Uh, uh, owned the Canadian um, Canadian insurance company and um, a company called Stuart Smith and agents insurance yeah. agents and and they would uh, basically funnel the the insurance to Lloyd's Lloyd's at London yeah so that was that was the business and I was there for about eighteen months okay. um, the project overall was longer than that so it would have been early eighties and uh, yeah. Um, it's it's good good time to to uh, um, it was a good time of of my life. Good, yeah. know, good good fun. Looking back on it, yeah, yeah. All even at the time. Did you ever, you know, think of staying in Canada? Yes, quite seriously, because yeah. um, you, you, it's sold, and you you know, salary would be better, and all the other things would be better. But I looked at it and. Um, you 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 got a bigger car and a bigger house and all the rest of it, but um, that was it. You weren't really very much better off. Okay, slightly better off yeah. in terms of you know immediate immediate surroundings, but it wasn't going to make a a massive difference yeah. to to my life. And there were things that I didn't like about Canada. Yeah. I liked a lot about it. You know, it's a very nice place, but um, things I missed and silly things you know if you're a uh, you're abroad you miss silly things like butter yeah. and cream yeah you know the butter and the cream is different the cream especially yeah nothing like english cream yeah you know it's just great you know and the milk um if you homogenize the milk too much you ruin the flavor of it yeah. so you don't get the same quality of milk for tea and stuff yeah so um and there's all the ridication and the rest of it, and the yeah. parents and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. it was. Um, we, 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 but we did look at it quite seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no. So what, were you living out there with your wife Maggie? No, no, no. Maggie, Maggie was in this country. Okay. But so she came out three or four times. Yeah. But she she basically stayed working and living in the UK. Yes. Yes. So we we were apart for that time. And, um, yeah, yeah. It was the time of the Falklands War as well. That was so. So I didn't really get the news of that. We're talking sort of nineteen eighty-two or something. Yeah, we? I was there yeah. in, during that time. So, so, so you decided not to live in Canada and come back to UK to live. And and how lucky we are to have you back with us, Peter. I've, I've always thought so. Yes. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let me just try and see what the hell is going on with this. Um, it says here that uh, we've been talking for 18 minutes and 51 seconds. I think this is the second episode. I don't know what happened to the first one. We'll, if we'll ever get it back. We'll have to wait for my son Charles to get back. Oh, no. <laughs> and he is, he is at the moment in somewhere in Kent playing golf. So anyway, sorry, he will sort things out. And, um, you know, that first part... Do you of, play golf, son? I, you know, no, I don't really play golf. I can I can play golf. I don't bother. Mm. But I've found it... My complaint about golf is it's too time-consuming. It just takes too long. It's, it takes all day. And I've been... I mean, maybe I should have played more golf. But um, I just find it too time-consuming. It takes up a whole day. And I've never been... I've always... Um, I'm too, I've always been a bit too busy to, to play golf, but I mean, 
I've got nothing against it. Mm. Um, and it's a great game. And in fact, um, what I do at the moment, I'm doing volunteering uh, at various places, including Beckenham Place Park. And that was a golf course from which which the London County Council started, I think, in the 1930s. They, wow. They made it a golf course. And there's, it's now not a golf course. For four or five years, it's been the Lewisham Council stopped it being a golf course, and it's now open. Well, it was always open to the public, but it's now full of people. As we speak today, the playgrounds and the whole park will be full of people. There'll be lots of people. I was quite shocked in a way, um, you know, during this pandemic, yeah. coming out to Beckenham Place Park. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I saw you there. I may, may have come to see you. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I thought that you know this was this was a time this was a time when distancing was important and yeah. um, you know care was important. And I didn't think people were keeping their distance enough and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I was quite. Um, shocked in a way. Yeah. I mean, they were. I mean, it was outside, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's safer for that reason. Mm. But but if you've got the opportunity to keep a couple of yards away, why not do it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you feel sh- sh- people weren't keeping their distance enough for you at the time, but. I mean, the scientific evidence at the time was that you should do, and and mm. since that's not been refuted, so yeah. and. If anything, the um, the evidence is that um, droplets and micro droplets. Yeah. Um, can't remember, uh, can't remember the technical name for yeah. them. But, um, it, you know, spread more than the two meters. So your your risk is um, it is is there even even greater distances. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's, medicine is an interesting thing. It's it's a question of degree. So. Um, there's no absolutes, you know. You get a you get a bug and you're going to get sick. It's how many bugs you get, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, can your system cope with it? What percentage risk is there? Yeah. So it's it's a strange, strange question. So yeah. so where theoretically there might there's a bug there, you might catch something, mm. and very small, very very small number of people might do. Yeah. The actual risk is much smaller than that. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's there, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, throughout my life, I've been a risk taker, you know. But I've always assessed the risk and not taken unnecessary risks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're climbing or um, driving very fast, you, there's, um, you, you know, you, you go within the limits, within your limits, the limits of the car. You make sure you're tied on at different places. You don't. You know, take an unnecessary risk. Yeah, basically, even though the risk is there. Mm-hmm. So why do people take risks that they can easily avoid? You know, don't understand the mentality. Yeah, it, I mean, it's quite strange that the uh, last weekend we were we were in Dorset and um, they had a, an artist week okay. or fortnight where different artists were showing their works, opening their studios and showing their works. And um, I can't remember a name now, but there's uh, something like Mirrily or a Christian name, a very strange okay. first name. Uh, I can't remember her surname now. Howden, maybe? Mirrily Howden? But, but, but she, was, she was anti-masks. No, don't wear a mask. That, oh, right. You know? And it it didn't bother me a lot because I'm I'm double vaccinated and yeah. She'd been vaccinated, so the risk was yeah. really, really quite low. I think, almost negligible. But but, she, but her attitude, like masks, yeah. her attitude was, you know, I don't understand why people have that attitude. You know, you know, why not take these things seriously? Yeah. And and it's interesting, you know, statistically, the people that are currently in hospital and suffering, also dying, I guess, um, are people who've been off, a lot of them have been offered the vaccine, you know, percentage-wise, yeah. and not taken up the offer. Yeah. And then they've ended up with COVID. So, well, so it's I, difficult to have any sympathy for somebody who has not had an opportunity to take the COVID jab. 
and he's in the hospital, possibly dying. And it's difficult to simply, isn't it? But this. Well, well, you can. I mean, because they're humans, and yeah, and people make mistakes. But um, it's just very sad that people yeah. aren't so more sensible. Really, this lady, Merrily, or whatever her name was. Yeah, Merrily. You, you went to her studio, did you? Well, her home, which is a studio, okay. you know, that she was um, displaying her pictures. Yeah, I mean, very good artist, professional artist. Yeah, very good artist. So she didn't like anybody wearing a mask. No, no, no. But I mean, you weren't you weren't forbidden from wearing a mask, were you? Well, I, I went in wearing one. Yeah. And um, she she said, "Oh, you don't need to wear it." Yeah. Um, so I took it off because I, I said, "Well, have you been vaccinated?" And she said, "Yes." So I took the mask off because yeah. that and and in fact, I mean, in Dorset, the the rate of infections on is very very low. So yeah. yeah. So very small risk. Yeah. I was, I was potentially more risk to her than the other way around. Yeah. And uh, because I've been vaccinated twice, probably negligible risk, Yeah. if any. Yes, well, let's hope so. I mean, I've been vaccinated twice. But in theory, you can get the disease even with... You could pass it on, couldn't you? Well, you can get the disease and not know it and pass it on if you've got it. So, you know, those risks still exist. Why do people unnecessarily ignore that you know I don't, I don't i suppose i i did in that instance but yeah, yeah it, it, you know people are taking much bigger risks than that and it just i find it very strange yeah peter i don't know i don't have any of the answers um but we've been talking for 26 minutes and 40 seconds it's been very it's been great talking to you peter. and and it's nice seeing you again simon yes nice to see you peter now, of course, Peter, as a, as a tennis player, he not only is he a tennis player, but he's actually qualified to teach tennis and to teach racquetball. Well, squ not tennis, really, squash. Uh, oh, beg your pardon, I've missed out squash. Yeah, no, and, uh, and no it was squash and racquetball. And if we, if we, that first uh, chat we did uh, for about half an hour, if, um, if we've in fact kept that, you'll be able to listen to Peter's views on squash because he's a passionate squash player. And a promoter of the game, rather like our other friend, Cosmos Charles. He lo he loves squash, and he's he's really passionate, like yourself. We'll have to get you two together to talk about squash. It'll be very very interesting. I oh. knew he played. I didn't know he was passionate about oh, it. Oh, he is. He is. He, is, he, is, he? Oh, oh. he loves his squash. But I didn't know thing, that. I didn't know that. The other thing is the other, where, he hides his yeah, thing under a bushel. You know. He's also. He's, when I've suggested to him that he comes and does a podcast, he's actually turned that opportunity down. I don't know why, but he has. So, yeah. you know, that's very different from you, Peter, because you're, you know, you're welcome. You, you're, you're willing to come here and give out information, and you're happy to do that. But that's where Cosmos hasn't. But, you know, we, we respect his wishes, but we shall. Of course. Hopefully, hopefully he'll be listening to this. And be feeling so guilty that he'll ring me up <laughs> and he'll say, he'll say to him, if, if I can just do an impression of Cosmos, he'll say, Oh, yes, uh, Simon, Simon, it's Cosmos here. Um, could I please do a podcast with you? Because I think it'd be very interesting. And I want to put out my views on squash, the game of squash. I want to tell everybody about it because I found it very interesting. Listening to Peter Thomason was fascinating. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's a very good input. That's a good impression. That's a very good impersonation oh, well, of course. Yeah, well, we'll, well, hopefully we'll get into it in a podcast. Now, um, this might, oh, I don't know, this might cut out after half an hour. Um, I'm getting fed up with the sound of my own voice. Not getting fed up with yours, Peter. We haven't, we'll have to have you back for part two. Absolutely. Part two. Absolutely. Even, Look forward to it. We haven't touched on various things. We haven't touched on your early experiences when your father was in the RAF. Your experiences when your father was tired and he bought a, mush, a, a mushroom, mushroom farm. farm. Yeah, we yeah. haven't touched on that. And your move to Rygate, we haven't touched on that, have we? Was it Rygate? Yeah. It was. I, I used to be on the back of a motorbike every weekend yeah. going for... Um, well, well over an hour anyway. Yeah. But I'd sit on the back of this motorbike that my father would drive.
drive buttons and forwards, ride buttons and forwards. Okay. And I'd fall asleep on the back. And did it more than once. And um, this is on the back of your father's motorbike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was that when you were moving to Rygate? Or, or, yeah, it was uh, during the process of moving. 